The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Oranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, March 25th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my guest, Dr. Sean K. Centers. Dr. Centers is the medical director of the Osteopathic Center for Children in San Diego, California. He is a pediatrician and internationally known expert on osteopathic pediatrics, nutrition, and natural medicines as they apply to children. Dr. Centers worked for over 20 years alongside Dr. Viola Freiman, an original student of William G. Sutherland, the founder of Cranial Osteopathy. Welcome, Dr. Centers. Yes, hello, Terry. How are you? It's a good day, Dr. Centers. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. First, we should establish what osteopathy is. What is osteopathy? That's That's a good question, and for many people, it's different things. But if we go back to the founder of osteopathy we have a a very clear definition. Osteo means structure. Now, back in the 1800s when osteopathy was founded, um, Dr. Steele, the founder of osteopathy, he studied ancient Greek. And as a result of his studies of ancient Greek, these uh, terminologies came into the practice of osteopathy. So in ancient Greek, osteo means structure. And pathos means suffering. So when an osteopath looks at a child, we look at the child in the context of the structure of their life. All right. And how is a doctor of osteopathy, a DO, different from a medical doctor, an MD? That's a good question as well. Um, There's a lot of confusion, I think, about that DOs, doctors of osteopathic medicine, are trained in medical schools just like um, medical doctors and in all 50 states, states within the United States, osteopathic medical doctors are equivalent in training to standard or allopathic medical doctors. However, it should be, it's really a question of what, what is in addition to the medical doctor training that the osteopath has. And that, um, that does vary. However, generally, it's 600 to 900 hours of additional training in medical school that focuses upon the whole person. And fundamental to that focus is our um, examination of the structure 
of the human body and how that affects health. Um, in addition, osteopathic philosophy teaches us that one should study health and, and not necessarily just disease. So in osteopathic uh, medical school, we focus especially upon finding health for patients. Well, that's refreshing. That's a very nice philosophy and perspective. There was also something called uh, Thomasonian medicine. Can you tell us about that? Oh, Thomasonian medicine. Well, that's a, that's another interesting uh, uh, issue in in medical history. Thomasonian medicine. Um, if we were back in the 1840s, um, just about half of the population would have been using Thomasonian Thomasonian medicine. In fact, um, as I recall from looking at the medical history, uh, in the 1830s and 40s, there were three million. Thomasonian practitioners. However, around the 1860s, the American Medical Association was formed, and uh, one of their essential proponents was to eliminate the practice of Thomasonian medicine. Thomasonian medicine, in essence, was an herbal or botanical-based philosophy of medicine. It was developed by Samuel Thompson, he um, he was back in New England. He studied with a, a midwife who had trained in Europe, and the midwife was an herbal midwife. Back in those days, most of the herb, the, the the midwives were herbal midwives. And um, one of the the uh, essential things that Samuel Thompson talked about was mercury toxicity. Now, back in the 1800s, the primary medical treatment for almost all conditions was something called calomel, and calomel is liquid mercury, and this actually originated uh, centuries earlier in the 1600s when um, King Henry XIV, the sun god king, um, was supposedly cured by a dose of mercury after uh, having food poisoning. And so, uh, to, to summarize the work of Thompson and how it relates to osteopathy is that when Dr. Andrew Taylor Steele, the founder of osteopathy, came back from the Civil War, he had six children. And three of those children died of spinal meningitis, or what we think was spinal meningitis. Of course, the, the, the diagnosis back then was somewhat different than today, so we're not exactly sure what the children died of uh, or what they contracted. However, after his, uh, the death of his, his children, Dr. Steele became very, very uh, depressed. He had been in the Civil War and, and, and really felt that uh, as part of his experience in the Civil War, he had learned many, many uh, things about surgery and about medicine, and he thought the medicine of his day could offer um, a cures or, or treatments for just about uh, any condition. And so when he saw the application of the medicine in his day, he became very concerned that there were things missing in medicine. 
and he would he would actually ride his horse every day for something like six to eight hours to a library in Baldwin, Kansas. And he would go to that library and he would just read and try to figure out why did his children die. And one day he came upon a book written by Samuel Thompson. By that time, Thomasonian medicine had, uh, had almost been eliminated um, practice, medical practice acts, uh, which were promoted by the American Medical Association, had, had pretty much eliminated all the Thomasonian practitioners. The only thing that was really left was some of the Thomasonian books. In fact, um, there was a regulation um, pr- uh, promoted by the American Medical Association that um, stated that if you wanted to be an AMA member, you could not only, uh, you were not only not supposed to uh, talk about Samuel Thompson or use his methods, you were not even allowed to write about him in the medical literature. But there were some books still available, and um, Dr. Steele came upon one of these books, and he started reading, and what came to his mind was he realized that the symptoms that his children had right before they had died were similar, if not the same, as the symptoms that Samuel Thompson was describing as mercury toxicity. And he realized that his children didn't really die of meningitis, as as he had thought, but in fact they had died of the treatment for meningitis in those days, which was mercury. And this um, this shone a light uh, into his mind, as he said in, in his writings, and he realized that the practice of medicine needed to be changed and or reformed. And as a result of that, he began to study uh, uh, the ancient writings of medicine, uh, especially Hippocrates, for example, and he realized that the current day medicine in those days in the 1860s, 1870s, had lost almost all of the fundamental teachings of Hippocrates. And as a result of that, he, uh, he hearkened back to that time of Hippocrates. And central to the concept of Hippocrates was the vital force. And Hippocrates had said, physicians must align themselves with the vital force. And if they could do this, then they could find healing for their patients. And we are going to pick up with that concept and a better way of doing things when we come back from break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Dr. Sean Centers. We want to thank this program's sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism and their fast-forward technology. Please visit them at www.brainprolearning.com. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Holy hormones, honey. Every week, this groundbreaking radio show brings you insight about hormone fluctuations, addressing the core biological issues that cause mood disorders, and offers a general support center for women everywhere at any stage in their lives. 
Host Leslie Carol Botha has the passion and drive to help you make informed decisions about your well-being and reclaim your life. Holy Hormones, Honey, sponsored by True Hope Incorporated, the leaders in brain health, is broadcast live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on Voice America Health & Wellness. If you are a parent who is dealing with a child who has issues related to a congenital heart defect, be sure to tune in every week to Heart to Heart with Anna. Anna Jaworski, who serves as your host, has a child who was born with a complex congenital heart defect, and she and her guests will help you discover resources and receive encouragement as you learn how to become an informed advocate in the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna is heard live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Dr. Sean K. Centers, who is the medical director of the Osteopathic Center for Children in San Diego, California. If you would like to visit that website, it's www.osteopathiccenter.org, and you can also visit www.drshawn.org. And uh, in the first segment, I don't mean to put words into anybody's mouth, but where we left off, it basically sounded like um, back in the late 1800s, conventional medicine was killing people, um, primarily with mercury uh, being used as a quote-unquote uh, treatment, and doctors still uh, found a better way. And so let's pick up with the better way. And first, talk about the importance of the healing power in nature, the vital forces in the body, and the ability of the body to heal itself once balance is restored. Dr. Centers, can you tell us about that, please? Yes, sure. Dr. Still, as he was reading the writings of Hippocrates, he came upon the concept of the vital force. And this concept had been around since the days of Hippocrates, and as well, there were the opponents of that philosophy, um, which uh, basically pointed to pointed the practitioner to the belief that um, the disease or the disease process is the thing that should be treated. That the part of the body, uh, not just the whole, should be treated. So. And that the doctor was uh, the supreme or the commander in charge of the treatment, which was quite different from the idea of Hippocrates. Hippocrates taught that the doctor wasn't necessarily a physician, but was a docere or doctor. Docere or or doctor in, in ancient Greek means teacher. So from... Hippocrates' uh, idea, um, he believed that the physician should be a teacher and should help the patient to align with that vital force. 
So then the question is, how did Dr. Steele apply the concepts of vitalism to his practice of medicine? And uh, the first uh, really key discovery that Dr. Steele made was the fact that there was not a focus upon the structure of the body. In, in, in that time, in the late 1800s, the, um, the steam engine had come into play, and uh, it was a new thing. And Dr. Steele noticed that one of the fundamental components of, of engineering was that the structure of the body or the structure of a thing affects its function. If the uh, structure of a particular instrument is uh, not proper, then the instrument's not going to function. And he reasoned through his, his, his search and his study of anatomy if the structure of the body is not in uh, proper functioning, then the body itself is not going to function properly. So he looked at different illnesses and he compared those people who had illness with those people who had health. And he realized that there were changes in the structure of the body. There was changes in the connective tissue. There was symmetry and in some cases asymmetry in, in uh, disease states. So he realized that 80% of the body is muscles and uh, uh, hard tissue such as, as bone. And he reasoned that if the, the bones and the muscles are not in the proper structure, that they will affect the underlying tissue such as blood vessels and nerves and lymphatic vessels. So he developed a method of restoring or revitalizing the structure of the body so that it would function more effectively. And that's what we call osteopathic manipulation. You've talked about muscle and you've talked about bone. What is fascia? Fascia is actually the fundamental uh, uh, component of the structure of the body. And as a pediatrician, uh, fascia is the primary structural component in children. So it's a, it's, it's, it connects every tissue to every other tissue. It um, is a, um, it has special properties that are, that are somewhat unusual. Um, we call it in science a colloidal tissue, meaning that it can change its, its function or structure based on forces that have been uh, impinged upon it. So sometimes the fascia is very liquid-like and allows the body to move. But if it has undergone um, some type of trauma, its structure can actually change to, uh, to a more solid form, and that will prevent the body from moving properly. The fascia invests or uh, surrounds or encapsulates every tissue in the human body. Different parts of the body have different names for the fascia, but it's really all the same fascia. So, for example, the covering of the brain and the spinal cord, typically um, uh, people will know that as dura, but in fact it's just a type of fascia. And 
the fascia can change based on, on, on stresses and traumas that have been impinged upon it, and it can cause changes in the circulation of the body and in the function of the nerves. What is tissue memory? Yes, so if a force comes into the fascia, into the body, then the force will be absorbed by the fascia. Uh, primarily, this is so the bones bones don't break. So one of the, the, the primary um, defense mechanisms for the body is to prevent the breaking of bones and to especially prevent the breaking of tendons and ligaments, which are much, much uh, um, diff- more difficult for the body to heal. And so when forces come into the body, the fascia or connective tissue absorbs those forces and it actually changes the nature of the tissue. And this is called tissue memory. So it remembers the forces. So this is a consequence of um, of trauma that's been imposed upon the body. Dr. Steele uh, actually said the memory of the body is stored in the fascia. And what he was talking about is those traumas that uh, are imposed upon the body uh, remain in the body unless they are um, are addressed. And, and osteopaths and other other body workers can address those fascial strains uh, or tissue memory. Now, as far as the memory itself, the psycho-emotional components of memory are sometimes associated with the trauma in the tissue. Um, In psychology, they call this state-dependent learning, meaning that the state or the position that the body part was in at the time of the injury stores or triggers that memory. So sometimes... um, you might have some type of osteopathic manipulation or maybe you go in and have a massage and then all, all of a sudden you have this feeling um, of intense emotion and you may actually recall uh, an injury from childhood or an injury uh, from, from some traumatic event. And that uh, is also usually associated with a release of that memory from the body. And that's 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 what we typically call tissue memory. I uh, first really experienced this when I was in medical school, and we were learning a technique called strain counter strain, um, which is a very simple technique. And basically, you find different trigger points and you fold the body around the trigger point. And when you do that, the point, the pain point, actually disappears. And so we were doing uh, uh, some very simple points on the foot. And my partner, as we were doing this, suddenly started crying. And I, of course, this was when I was a first-year medical student, and I had no idea what was wrong. And as the, the teacher, the instructor, came over, he started talking with, the the student, my partner, and dialoguing with her, and she recalled that when she was a very little girl, uh, maybe four or five, there were some older boys 
who came to her home. And um, her parents were pretty much ignoring her, yet um, the parents allowed these boys to pretty much uh, um, destroy or or, uh, damage uh, her toys. And um, she was very, very upset about this. And they had pretty much destroyed a a dollhouse that she had. And she was very frustrated, and she remembers kicking the dollhouse. And this memory was imprinted in the tissue of her foot. So when we uh, put that uh, foot in the position uh, that it was injured in, uh, many, many years before, she had this recall of the memory. And this happens uh, uh, with with minor traumas like the kicking of a dollhouse, but it can also happen with more severe traumas and even the trauma of birth. So what does it mean when you say that the body uh, is an integrated unit of function? Well, what we mean when we say that the body is an integrated unit, that's one of the, the principles of osteopathy. And... What it essentially means is that we have to treat the whole person. We have to treat the body, the mind, the spirit, and the whole whole system itself. So, if this fascia and 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 anatomists, uh, and if you've ever done anatomy, you know that the fascia is completely connected to every system in the body. So, if you have a trauma in the toe or foot, for example, it could have far-reaching um, effects in other parts of the body, uh, even the neck, the head. Um, if you look, for example, at the lumbar spine, the lumbar spine is a is a lordotic curve. It's it's um, a concave curve, and when you look at the cervical spine, it has that same curve. So, if you have an injury in the lumbar spine, it's very common to have equally equal injury in the cervical spine. And that can uh, that can affect um, uh, those areas, but can affect many many other areas. So we have to treat the body as an integrated whole. So we just don't treat the parts; we have to treat the whole. Um, this is uh, in contrast to mainstream medicine, who kind of who who has an idea that you know we just treat the part. Right, and that doesn't always make sense. If I hear that uh, fingertips are tingling, I think of the neck, and if I uh, hear that there's uh, pain in the toes or sensation in the toes, I think of the lower back. So because there's referred pain and there's uh, nerve impingement and things like that, correct? Sure. Referred pain mechanisms um, are a a well-known example of that, and there are uh, lesser-known uh, reflex systems within the body, even the primitive reflex systems that originate in the brain that can have far-reaching effects upon the body as well. Well, this seems like a good time for a break. If you would like to look at Dr. Sensor's information while we're on break, you can find it at www.drshawn.org or www.osteopathiccenter.org. We thank this program's sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism and their fast-forward technology at www.brainprolearning.com. We'll be right back. 
opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Every weekend, take some time out of your schedule for new reflections featuring Dr. Adam Rubenstein. It's a show about all things aesthetic, from skin care to plastic surgery, health and beauty. You'll learn about the aesthetic products and procedures to embrace or avoid. Each show will feature live, virtual, interactive consultations that you'll be able to follow along with and featured guests from the world of beauty and aesthetics. Listen Saturdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, for new reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Sean K. Centers, Medical Director of the Osteopathic Center for Children in San Diego, California. And in the second segment, uh, Dr. Centers, let us know that fascia is the primary structural component in children. And Dr. Centers, um, what is the relationship of fascia, or I guess in this case dura, uh, because of the area of the body is called dura, what is the relationship between the dura and the skull, and what happens to the rest of the body if you have impairment in the motions of the skull? Well, that's that's a, a central uh, component of something called cranial osteopathy or osteopathy in the cranial field. The dura attaches very strongly to the 32 cranial bones. And in a child and even to uh, a certain extent in the adult, there are spaces between the bones that make up the skull. And these spaces allow for the bones to move and Scientific studies, uh, some even done at the Osteopathic Center for Children, have found that these bones move in a cyclical or rhythmic cycle. Part of that is due to the fluctuation of cerebrospinal fluid. It's uh, due to the changes in pressure as a result of inhalation and exhalation of the breath. It's uh, also somewhat a result of the circulation uh, within the um, brain itself, especially in uh, some very large blood vessels that parallel or run down the top of the skull uh, called the great venous sinuses. And so through osteopathic research and other uh, physiological research, we know that these skull bones move. 
and sometimes we find that there are areas of the skull which lack that uh, rhythmic motion. And when this occurs, there can be far-reaching effects. These effects can be changes in the circulation inside the brain, which may result in language problems, um, irritation or hyperactivity to the nervous system, uh, or other far-reaching uh, uh, effects such as uh, uh, pituitary and, and pineal function, which would result, for example, in uh, problems sleeping, in uh, cognition, in uh, visual, the visual system, in um, the whole parasympathetic nervous system, which can result in, in many different disorders, uh, ranging uh, from uh, seizure disorder to, to autism. All right, so let's elaborate more upon autism. What does all of this have to do with autism, what we've been saying? Well, the, the first thing that, um, you know, you have to consider when you talk about autism is what is autism and, and how is it coming, you know, how is it affecting uh, the body itself. We have certain definitions of autism, and, and, and these are um, frequently simply based on uh, the voting of a committee. Um, however, classical autism, I think most people would agree, uh, has two very specific components, and that is, uh, one, a loss of expressive language, uh, being able to express um, uh, yourself, and then two, a loss of receptive language, being able to understand uh, language. And then we have a number of idiosyncratic or uh, a number of um, symptoms that um, seem to be common in many different uh, autistic children and even in other uh, children with other disorders uh, for example, gastrointestinal dysfunction, uh, problems in auditory processing, um, dysregulation of the senses, impaired um, motor function, even sleep disorders uh, can be placed in the autism spectrum. So how does osteopathy relate to this? First of all, when we look at children who have autism, Despite this great search by the allopathic community for genetic causes of autism, they're very hard to find. Um, there was uh, one large study done uh, in Sweden where they looked at hundreds of thousands of children uh, with autism or autism spectrum disorder over uh, a 20-year period and they were looking for genetic or gene-related causes, and they couldn't find any. However, what they did find, which was significant uh, to osteopathy, is that nearly 80% of those children had a history of some type of birth trauma. So we're not necessarily saying that the, the trauma itself uh, causes autism, but we know that that is a contributing factor. And if there is birth trauma, then one of the things that we, we look at in osteopathy is whether these different plates 
joints or, or cranial bones have a compression, meaning they're not moving. And sometimes uh, we find that if we treat those, we'll see marked improvement in autism, uh, autistic symptoms. The, the second thing is that this condition... Um, described as autism, has been around for quite some time. Even if we look in uh, Dr. Steele's day, uh, Dr. Steele, the founder of osteopathy, he talked about children who were delayed, and he talked about there being an association with delays in development with seizures and the gastrointestinal track. In fact, I think uh, Dr. Steele was one of the first uh, clinicians to realize that neurodevelopmental problems um, are associated with gastrointestinal dysfunction. And he, he, he writes about this in, um, his, uh, in his, one of his books, uh, Teachings in the Science of Osteopathy. He um, describes children who he treated who had uh, gastrointestinal issues related to developmental delay and seizures. And, and he felt, in fact, that the primary cause of these, um, uh, of these developmental and, and seizure disorders uh, were frequently found in the gut, not in the brain. In fact, Dr. Still um, actually designated the, the gut, the gastrointestinal system, as, as a brain, he called it the third brain. He called the, um, the, the brain in the cerebrum the first brain, and he felt that the cervical spine uh, was the second brain. And so in osteopathy, we look for changes in the structure uh, of children uh, who, who may be presenting with symptoms of autism. Now, the other really uh, important issue concerning this gut uh, uh, relationship that Dr. Still talked about was the use of mercury. And it may be that, uh, although I don't think that researchers are really uh, looking into this adequately, there may be a relationship between the gut and the presence or the ingestion of mercury. If you look at the studies with infantile acrodynia, are you familiar with that, Terry? Yes. So infantile acrodynia was a condition uh, very common at the early part of the 1900s where children were giving, given various uh, powders that contained mercury and they would get a severe rash and then eventually they would have severe uh, developmental delay. They would lose um, the ability to speak, uh, even to understand which uh, I think if, if they were diagnosed today, they would be diagnosed with classic autism. And I'm sure you are aware of that study that was done in Australia where they looked at the uh, 500 children who had um, family histories of um, the infantile acrodynia. And what they found I think is hugely significant, but not being really pursued in this country, is they found that children whose grandparents had infantile acrodynia and actually survived because many of the, the children who had infantile acrodynia didn't survive. Uh, 
uh, but who actually survived and went on to have um, uh, children themselves, the descendants of those children had an eight times more likelihood of having autism uh, than the standard population. So um, back then in Australia, the prevalence rate for autism was 1 in 60. And in children who had a a family history of infantile acrodynia, autism was 1 in 22. So the toxicity um, is certainly um, a a, a cause uh, from the osteopathic uh, point of view of symptoms of autism. And when um, when I say symptoms of autism, what I'm I'm referring to is is it is not clear that autism itself is a disease. Uh, it's more like a syndrome, and because of that, there may be multiple causes of of the symptoms that we see as, as autism, and, and 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 certainly birth trauma. Uh, figures in into this equation as a, as a as as one of the primary causes, uh, along with toxicities and, and disruptions of the endocrine system, etc. So back in the 1800s, when Dr. Andrew Taylor Still was around, um, he noticed that there were children who had there were some children. Uh, Today we know that there's a real and true epidemic of autism, but back then there were some children who he noticed had developmental delays, seizures, and... Right, you know, obviously um, in that time we didn't call it developmental delay. Um, the, the the medical term that they used was feeble-mindedness. Um, but if you look at the what they're describing as feeble-mindedness, uh, it's very clear that these were children with uh, developmental delay. Um, they didn't call um, um, epilepsy uh, seizures. They called them convulsions. Mm-hmm. So um, in Dr. Seale's writings, there are very clear descriptions of um, um, the use of dietary methods and osteopathic manipulative methods that resulted in uh, a decrease uh, or in some time, in some cases, a cure of these children that had feeble-mindedness and infantile uh, convulsions. Um, uh, quote one of his uh, one of his um, uh, articles in something called Osteopathic Research and Practice. He talks about feeling, filling the lower bowels with gruel. Um, not starch in order to take off any irritation that undigested food is producing. So uh, the gruel uh, was a type of cleansing agent, uh, uh, very similar to um, um, it was. It was basically an undigestible um, uh, food that would cleanse the the, the bowels. Um, which, so... which, by the way, Merck. Uh, and Wakefield and others did, did some studies where they just did bowel cleansing, which I which they they used something called Go Lightly uh, to do that, and they found improvement in autistic children uh, as high as eighty percent by just doing this bowel cleansing. And with that, we will be right back here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Doctor Center. 
listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you or someone you love struggle with Alzheimer's disease or some other disorder? Many times, there is not an adequate support forum where you can learn from and discuss topics from top guest experts. Tune in to NeuroMatters, The Brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Although thought of as a disease that affects only older individuals, increasingly, symptoms are being found in people who are in their 40s and 50s. Get the answers. NeuroMatters airs live Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your health is your greatest gift. So what decisions are you making to support your health and well-being today? Your overall state of health is a reflection of the habits you create in your daily life. Do you know what it takes to live a truly preventative lifestyle? Listen for Reclaim Your Health with host Dr. Maggie Luther. We'll show you how to add health into your life every day to prevent chronic disease. What's more, we'll help you optimize your health and live a more fulfilled life. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Dr. Sean K. Centers, and we also want to thank this program's sponsor, uh, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism that uses fast-forward technology. They're at www.brainprolearning.com. Before the break, uh, Dr. Centers, you were saying something about gut cleansing, and we know that the gut is just very important. And I, for our listeners who are familiar with, for example, the specific carbohydrate diet that basically says anything that can't be digested and um, you know can putrefy in the gut turns into poison, how is that differentiated from what you were just talking about before the break? Yes, well, of course, in these days we don't use gruel anymore, but it 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 was a type of a cleanser, really, not uh, something that would stay in the gut. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was a type of bowel cleansing. So okay. foods that are indigestible uh, can cause putrefaction, but the the gruel would pass through the the gut very quickly. All right. You before the break also um, we were talking about how doctors still noticed children way back when uh, who had a delay, who had, uh, they called it feeble-mindedness, who had convulsions and who had a gut issue. And it just so ha- and we also said that it just so happened that conventional mer- uh, medicine was using mercury. So yeah. could there conceivably have been a connection between the feeble-mindedness, the convulsions, and the gut distress and conventional medicine's use of mercury? Well, obviously... Um Mercury is a toxin. It's a neurotoxin, and in the doses um, that they were using at that time, um, they were very, you know, they were very high doses. And certainly, yes, that that could be be a factor, and likely was. 
Um, but the question is, and I, I think it's the same question that people have today about immunizations. Well, you know, lots and lots of children um, have immunizations, and they don't have any apparent um, uh, ill effect from the immunizations. And then um, when when we look at that, I would go back to this um, infantile acrodynia. And with those studies, they found that not every child that was exposed to the mercury powder had infantile acrodynia. In fact, it was um, maybe one in 500. That was that was actually the number that uh, the Australians used in their uh, study. So in the in the early 1900s, they found one in 500 children had this infantile acrodynia. Why didn't all of them have the um, infantile acrodynia? And the, the the answer likely is that there is some type of there's likely some type of genetic predisposition that predisposes a child to sensitivity to mercury and other toxins. And that may, in fact, be part of uh, part of uh, a detoxification pathway problem. Now, there was another uh, autism study done um, maybe six or eight years ago where they, they took hair samples of children with autism and they took um, children who were neurotypical and they compared those hair samples. And what one would think is that if mercury was uh, the cause of autism or a contributing uh, um, factor, you would see that the children with autism would have very very high levels of mercury in the hair, and you would see the children who um, who were neurotypical would have normal or lower levels. And actually, what they found was that the children with autism had really low levels of mercury in their hair compared to those who um, who were neurotypical. And so what's what's you know what can be concluded from that study? Well the conclusion is or, or the, the thought is is that the autistic children are not able to detoxify or get rid of that mercury. And so uh, in effect um, it's a detoxification pathway that seems to be um, a problem in children who are exhibiting autism symptoms. Then to Dr. Centers, you mentioned uh, the familial history of um, those in Australia and how what happens to one generation can have effects on another generation. Um, I'd just like to observe some various things. Even if children don't have autism, we can see evidence around us that IQ points are going down. The CDC autism alarm, I think in 2004, cited one in 166 children, and now a most recent CDC report cites one child in 50. Um, the one before that was one in 88 from the CDC. And even back then in, in 2004 or so, one in six children had something going on, some problem going on. Uh, a more recent study, I think it was in academic pediatrics, cited 43 to 54% of children having uh, one of 20 chronic health conditions assessed. The military is looking for women now, college 
uh, entrance requirements have gone down. The SAT has been changed. So there's clearly something uh, going on. And we can have kids with uh, low cystine and reduced uh, L-glutathione who are not excreting mercury, who are not good excretors, but we know that the thimerosal derived ethyl mercury to the the non-human primates showed a preferential persistence in the brain tissue of the ethyl mercury. And while estrogen was protective in uh, female mice versus testosterone in male mice, uh, you know, which Boyd Haley has talked about, wouldn't it be that if you throw enough mercury at anybody, they're going to be affected adversely? Well, I think that that's true. And I think that, again, I don't think that mercury is the only cause out there for the children with autism symptoms. I think that we really, you know, I, I think it has to do even with this uh, this uh, political party, uh, the, the Canary uh, Party. Um, you know, these children, these autistic children are really like canaries in the, the coal mines. They are telling us that the environment itself is toxic. And there's simply the early warning uh, signs that something is seriously wrong. If you, uh, there was a, a recent study that just came out uh, within the last month that showed that there was a high correlation with environmental toxicity and autistic children. And so I think it's it's not just mercury, it's it's the environment itself. It's genetically modified food. It is um, various toxins that have been introduced to our, our environment. And uh, some of these children who are who have a who have a much uh, more um, sensitive system are reacting to. And we know that GMOs can set up. Uh, we know that there's a theory that GMOs can set up a susceptibility, a setup in the gut that predisposes one to autism. We know that uh, Dr. Palmer down in Texas did a study about um, coal emissions, mercury-containing coal emissions, and learning disability down in Texas and correlated the proximity. Um, how? Let's one one question before we we break, and just to let our listeners know that Dr. Centers will be back with us next week, and we will continue this interesting discussion. Dr. Centers, how does cranial osteopathy relate to detoxification? Um, can, can I just uh, add one more thing sure. about the you know the the issue with this these multiple toxins is is a really really uh important issue and i think that gmos um are contributing to the gut dysbiosis there was a recent study where they looked at the flora the intestinal flora and the flora actually changes the 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 probiotics in your gut actually change they uh, once one is eating this uh a genetically modified food, so that the 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 GMO food actually changes the intestinal gut, so it starts producing the uh, pesticides that are used in to prevent uh, the uh, 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 attack of crops. Mm-hmm. So, so you're actually getting pesticides being produced in your gut by your own flora. 
yeah, this is that's that's really gross and um, and not good for humans. So we're going to pick up with this fascinating discussion and talk about um, how cranial osteopathy can help with detoxification and more. And we're going to talk about essential oils as well uh, next week here with Doctor Centers. Doctor Centers, you'll be back with us, yes? Yes. Okay, and I want to thank you for being on with us today and, um, as always, for your gentle and enlightened approach to treating children. Dr. Centers will be speaking at the Autism One 2014 conference on the topics of cranial osteopathy as well as being on the essential oils panel. The Autism One 2014 conference is May 21st through 25th in Chicago. Please visit www.autism1.org. Just to remind you of Dr. Center's website, that's www.osteopathiccenter.org and also www.drshawn.org. We want to thank this program's sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism and their Fast Forward Technology. Please visit them at www.brainprolearning.com. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.